welcome to Philosophy for the People, which is early for the very first time, purely <laughs> for the same reason my hair is wet, which is because of time zones and daylight savings. So hello, Ben, and uh, welcome. <laughs> hello, Stefan. Um, yeah, so I don't know a lot about this. I think that, uh, so we are definitely still going back and forth with daylight savings here. Although apparently, um, um, apparently I was just, I was just looking this up when I, cause clearly we didn't just do that here. Um, I'm pretty sure I didn't miss that, but like I was, I was looking it up to, uh, to try to see, you know, when we do it here and all that, like, um, and in the, uh, <laughs> um, and, and it looks like in California, voters actually approved something that would theoretically eventually stop daylight savings adjustments in 2018. Are they going to do it, what, like 45 minutes, 30 minutes? Is it going to be like gradualist? I don't know, because whatever they're doing, it hasn't happened yet. Uh, so, um, I mean, it's, it's a big bugbear of Peter Hitchens. Yes, I've seen that. He's yeah, he's yeah. super obsessed with uh uh with the evils of daylight. I I love that for him. But but now now is the good time. Now we're on proper GMT. We're we're freed okay. from Berlin tyranny for the the next six months. Okay, okay. So this it's not that it's not that Peter would have objected to this switch. It's that he he would object yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. The, the, to we're, we're finally free for these these winter months. But we'll gotcha. soon return again, once again, to, to Berlin tyranny. Got it, got it. Um, so, yeah, this week, um, I, I've done things very well by um, forgetting about daylight saving time and so on. I've made yeah, sure so that one time it's about my essay. I've made sure <laughs> to, to set the event to the wrong time. Um, but this week, we're going to be talking about a guest essay I posted on Ben's Substack, which sounds like I just put it on there. Actually, yeah, been yeah. His I um, just discovered it there that it, when I woke up this morning. Yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, the essay um, is, uh, yeah, we actually talked about a different title, but I was uh, I'd already scheduled it, and you know, I was asleep uh, when all this uh, discussion uh, happened afterwards. Uh, so it's currently called "In Defense of Military Age Males" and. Uh, it's basically it seems to be that in you know you're objecting you're making a specific and highly unusual objection to the way people usually talk about uh, just wars or the ethics of war, um, which is that all of these sort of strictures of how you can fight a war you know so like a certain amount of just war theory has to do with the ends for which you are fighting. Um, are you, you know, the aggressor, you're defending yourself, etc. But then there's this other aspect, which is about how you fight it. So, you know, a just war is supposed to be not only fought for just ends, but, you know, fought in a just way. And that second half has a lot to do with, uh, harming civilians. Um, and there's, you know, and, and so there are all these rules that you're supposed to follow that, you know, um, 
modern nation states, you know, don't uh, that, you know, like. Yeah, rules that no one's ever followed, but kind of do. Yeah, yeah. Pre, the, pre, yeah, pre-modern the combatants way. violated them in different ways. But yeah, that's uh, like. They do form the discursive, discursive space in the sense that people will pretend that they follow these rules. Yeah, exactly. There is at least. It's it's a little bit like, uh, yeah, just war has sort of like just war theory has won a certain kind of ideological battle in the same way that like democracy did in uh, over the course of like the 18th and 19th centuries to get to the point where in the 20th century, like, you know, some exceptions, but like almost everybody had to at least like pay some sort of rhetorical right? it's the democratic people's republic of korea uh thank you very much right you know that's like in that same kind of way that everybody even if nobody really believed them they still sort of felt some sort of pressure to you know put democratic somewhere in the name of your you know incredibly authoritarian regime and similarly right like even if um you know, the only people who actually believe that the IDF, for example, is, um, you know, laying siege to Gaza in ways that, you know, have something to do with the strictures of just, just, just war theory are people who, in the words of Fox Mulder, you know, want to believe. Uh, it's, uh, they at least will kind of go through the motions of saying they do. Everybody kind of does. You know, no, nobody says, like, you know, Vladimir Putin doesn't give doesn't give speeches on Russian TV where he's like, yes, um, I, Today we talked to the bakery, killing three bakery workers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Like that doesn't happen. Right. They, they all, everybody, at least, you know, even if in some cases it's extremely thin and it's not even really clear who the performance is for, everybody at least goes through the motions of pretending to be at least somewhat constrained by these rules, which are all about targeting civilians. So you're not supposed to intentionally target civilians. That's kind of number one, that if, um, if your goal is to kill civilians, that's, that's off the table. That's why, you know, you have to go through this, like, well, yeah, we had to, uh, you know, we had to, you know, we had to eliminate this, um, hundred, hundred family, apartment complex because like one of the apartments is maybe used as a Hamas office. Uh, so, you know, but that was the goal, right. To, to eliminate right. that one. That, that's and, fundamentally outlawed. The idea that you can target civilians. That's like the, the biggest rule. Right. Right. You cannot aim deliberately to kill civilians. That's the biggest one. And then beyond that, uh, there are also all these other rules that are like, well, um, it's not even just that you can't aim at it. You have to, um, you know, you have to try to minimize it and any danger, any right, time. Like if you have a choice between firing at two firing positions, one of which has civilians in and one of which hasn't, then you should prioritize the one which does not. Right, exactly, right. So that, you know, so there are all these other rules which you get into, and I'm sure you'll talk about that have uh, that are about the things that you're supposed to do to uh, to minimize the uh, the number of civilians who are even unintentionally killed. Uh, never mind intentionally killed. But one thing that you call attention to, I mean, the the thing that the sort of overall point of your essay is call attention to, is that, okay, this is all, 
like all of this stuff about the means, what counts as a sort of just method of fighting a war is all about civilians and, and not at all about soldiers. And, um, and you, even though like, look, I think there's a very basic intuition here that, um, is very commonly shared. I certainly share it, right. That, uh, that there's a, there's a distinction there. Uh, and we'll, we'll get into various reasons to think that there is and whether those are as, as powerful as, as they seem to be, or whether things are, you know, turn out to be much murkier after all. But, um, the, like in, um, you know, I, I think there's a sort of, basic intuition that, hey, there's a fundamental difference between, you know, shooting people who are shooting back and um, and shooting people who are, you know, not shooting back, who are unarmed, you know, who, who aren't who aren't participating, you know, in uh, in this. Um, and and, you know, you you know, you you question this, although I think it's probably important to say at the outset that the sort of direction of the questioning isn't okay. I guess then we could be much more cavalier about killing civilians, you know, right, the, guys. The, the essay kind of starts out with making, giving two examples. One example about the current war in Palestine, which is very easy for, for people to accept yeah. as a great tragedy, because in both cases, the vast majority of deaths on both sides of the war have been uh, civilian casualties. Uh, yeah. In the case of Palestine, especially, um, something like 40% of the deaths inflicted by Israel have been children, right? Uh, which seems quite impressively non-discriminatory um, in kind of Israel's approach to the war. But also, just before this, in the past few months, uh, there was a Ukrainian offensive in Zaporizhia, mostly in Zaporizhia, in, in Ukraine. Uh, well, I mean, that's the issue they're fighting over. Um, yeah. Where many, many thousands of people, probably a similar number that have died in the current Palestine war, um, fought and died uh, for nothing, really. The the end result was nothing. Uh, there was no good end, um, apart from the fact that, well, Ukrainians were happy to kill Russians and the Russians were happy to kill Ukrainians. Uh, but under this kind of conventional view of war and ju- injustice in war, there's no way we can condemn this kind of offensive, this kind of attritional combat, which sees thousands and thousands of young men die, uh, because basically no civilians died in this offensive, because it was all fought along some kind of rural defense lines. Um, and if there were all local villages, they were all long since evacuated. And that just seems strange to me. Yeah. I mean, I, this is, um, and I think to, um, to kind of reinforce that or like sort of see like why, why this is, this is strange. Um, you know, cause there's like, you know, part of, uh, you know, part of your, conclusion seems totally right to me there's parts you know we'll get into you know reservations about but like you know the sort of basic thing here is it's like okay well hold up like there's nothing that's like morally problematic about throwing away all these people's lives in uh in in that instance or at least like in um or even if you assume right for the sake of argument because it's like you know might it, it could be that it's like well if it's an unjust war for other reasons, then, then it's, it's bad for anybody to die in it or something like that. But it's like, 
you know, even if you assume for the sake of argument, the overall war that you're talking about is a just war in other ways, right? That like that it, it checks all the other boxes for uh, for a just war. You know, you're not initiating aggression and blah, blah, blah. Right. OK, like, is it really the case that the amount of moral concern that you need to have with how many soldiers you kill is zero is none? Right. right. Like, Surely the war, which is good, which is just, which kills a thousand people, is better than the one that kills ten thousand, and is better than the one that kills a hundred thousand. Um, but without, under this kind of traditional schema, there's no real way to do that because it's permissible to kill enemy soldiers. Yeah, right, exactly. So, um, so even. Uh... Like it, it is just kind of remarkable that like none of these sort of widely theoretically accepted scriptures of uh, just war uh, say anything about you know even minimizing you know the the number. I, I, I want to say on the stream because I wasn't able to fit in the essay that while it is true that this is the traditional conception and it's yeah. what is embedded in international law and it's one that we believe intuitively, lots of philosophers, while not probably going as far as I do, do take they do think it's it's difficult probably lots of them do think that we can in the end draw this distinction between soldiers and, and between combatants and non-combatants and say that it's very much like kind of more permissible much much more permissible to kill combatants um but generally philosophers accept that this is a hard problem well i think probably and that's kind of the the gap i'm trying to close because intuitively we might not think that this is a really hard problem. Like, if, like you know, they're soldiers. Like, that's what they're for. Yeah, 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 yeah right. Um, and, yeah, and so it's, it's like, maybe even worth, like, analytically separating out, uh, is there something worse about killing civilians than there is killing soldiers, which, you know, there might well be, and is... Um, and in an otherwise just war is the amount of moral concern you should have with like how many enemy soldiers you kill, like none, you know, yeah. like, 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 like should, should this just not be a factor at all? Right. Like, like all of these, I mean, I think conventionally militaries are very concerned, but in the other way. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Right. <laughs> I don't like I don't... Um, Israel currently wants to eliminate Hamas. Right. Which means, presumably they want to kill every single one of them yeah right sure absolutely and you know and and if the uh and okay like hamas uh there was a hamas leader who was interviewed on um a um uh arab news channel uh who um i don't think it was al jazeera but anyway whatever it was that they have a uh, they they were interviewed and there was this clip that was going around where they were sort of um, huffily denying uh, a lot of the things that they'd done on uh, October 7th, um, you know, because like, okay, you know, they're not, you know, they kind of know how that plays, right? They're not going to brag about some of that, yeah. but surely there's one thing that guy wouldn't have denied is like, you killed lots of IDF soldiers, right? Be yeah. like, 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 like if anything, right. He probably want to inflate the number of, yeah. of of soldiers that they killed right you know like look how look what an effective operation this was you know that uh that we'd uh that we'd done this 
And so none of these, and nobody is like the fact that nobody is like embarrassed about it enough to like try to deny, oh, actually, we didn't really kill that many soldiers, you know, anything like that. I mean, this is the sort of classic thing, like from a lot of, um, you know, God, even if you, uh, there's like a lot, there was a lot of Vietnam era stuff about this, the sort of persistent joke about the, uh, the, like calling in after the engagement, uh, the, uh, that, you know, that like, you'd always, you know, it's like, you'd always killed like 200 VC, uh, combat, you know, combatants. And, um, and that's, uh, cause, cause yeah, like this is, that's the whole point. Um, so none of these sort of strictures about like, okay, well, it has to be proportionate to, you know, like any civilians you accidentally kill, it has to be proportionate to the military importance of what you were doing that had the... Right, I mean, I, I did, I, in the first draft of the essay, I was going to talk about this, about the Vietnam, specifically like the, the strategic Hamlet program. Yeah. Because in order to kind of like be able to say that everyone they killed were combatants and that they could count all these numbers, they did the strategic Hamlet campaign where basically they like cleansed the rural areas of these villages to put them in certain protected areas so that they could say that everyone that, that then everything else was just a free fire zone where anything that got struck was you know from a from a, from a field mouse to a to a man was was a vc combat yeah yeah this is the uh this is the line in full metal jacket you know with the uh um the guy you know the they're in the helicopter you know and they're they're shooting people you know like they're yelling at people at the um uh coming out of the jungle to 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 stop and it's like well if they run they're vc uh if they don't run they're well disciplined vc uh that's so um yeah no for sure like so this is um and there is something and there is and there is something that gets like even though it seems like on kind of first approximation yeah of course i mean if you know like it's obviously no war is better than some war, but like, if you, if you have to go to war, uh, then, you know, sure. You're, you're trying to kill soldiers. That's the point, you know, that's like, uh, clearly to the extent that the war is otherwise just like clearly killing soldiers is, is just, etc. Um, but then, um, but then you, the more you think about it, like the less clear some of this starts to get, right? So like one of my favorite things in the essay is you say, you address this sort of intuitive idea that a lot of people have that like what you're doing when you sign up to a military or are signed up in the case of conscripts uh, is you're, um, you're like signing a contract essentially that like, uh, yeah, that's what I call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you're signing a contract that it's like, hey, by putting on this uniform, etc., I am gonna go about doing killing, and it's like therefore also okay to kill me. So you've you've like putting aside conscription, you know, you've voluntarily relinquished your right to life. Yeah, yeah, and um, I, you know, I, I talk about through that, you know, these practical examples. I don't know if people have seen it, but there was a great TikTok video where this guy in like basic training was going around talking to all these these like Zuma American soldiers, asking them like uh, why they signed up. And what I include in the essay is, you know, them all saying about free college or whatever. But I didn't also include that lots of them also said uh, to get citizenship for me and my family, which is all a bit Starship Troopers. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Service guaranteed citizenship. Absolutely. Yeah, we already have that for uh, for yes, we already have that for lots of immigrants and uh, and uh, one of the 
one of the leading candidates in the fake Republican, uh, the fake race for the Republican nominations. It's obviously it's going to be Trump who's not participating, but in uh, one of the leading candidates in the fake race of Vivek Ramaswamy uh, wants uh, this to be how it works for everybody. Uh, did you see what he said about Hamas today? Oh God, what did he say? He said that they should get the top hundred Hamas guys and kill them and put their heads on spikes around Gaza. That is a Vivek Ramaswamy comment. Yep. Brave, brave, brave anti-war, right? Yes, yes. Uh, that was like, uh, yeah, that was like what two months ago when uh, when he uh, uh, when he was the uh, he was the great anti-war candidate. Uh, you know, which which he really sounded like when he was. Uh, like, you know, he knows how to fake it when he has to, uh, like, you know, in that exchange with Nikki Haley at the first Republican debate, you know, where he uh, wished her luck on her future career on the boards of Raytheon and Lockheed Martin. Um, it's like, yeah, it was a good line. Uh, but, yeah, you are the most demented warmonger when it comes to the ones that you like, which is a lot of them. Uh, just, yeah, just, it, not- it, just It becomes very evident that the whole U.S. ruling class is behind war. They just have, like, kind of aesthetic almost preferences between which wars they like. Totally, right? Like, uh, yeah, I mean, Israel, God, Palestine, that's one that they kind of all like. And then uh, with, you know, different degrees of bloodthirstiness and then yeah when it comes to great power conflicts uh there's a there's a divide between the ones who uh who you know who want to focus on you know russia the ones who will focus on china and the really exciting ones like nikki haley who think we could maybe just do both uh you know like what could go in the u.s you know we've got the tiktok warriors but then also you know with hamas and palestinian jihad often what's going to be driving people to join these militant organizations is that these militant organizations are like the only kind of like lifelong employer you can get in the Gaza Strip who will definitely guarantee you like a permanent salary, which isn't going to be disturbed by sanctions or kind of like, you know, Israel changing the rules of engagement for how the economy works, which they do, you know, randomly and arbitrarily. Um, And that even on like kind of a more concrete level, you know, as... Israel destroys systematically like every building in the Gaza Strip. In some ways, obviously, it doesn't really protect you from death being in Hamas, but it does kind of protect you from arbitrary death. Like, yeah, you you have a like if you're if you're in a if you're in a tunnel uh, under uh, underneath Gaza City, uh, you're not just gonna like randomly die. Uh, and you, know, you, know, you know, you might get sent out of that tunnel. Sure do something and then very likely die, but then it, it stops being arbitrary, you know? Right. I think I see what you mean. Yeah. It's a, yeah. Like you have a, like you are in a certain sense, more protected uh, from, from death. You're certainly, you know, you're certainly more protected economically. So, you know, these are the reasons why, you know, why people, um, you know, these are among, of course, the reasons beyond obvious, you know, nationalism, desire for revenge, etc. that people, um, that people join in Israel, as you point out, um, you know, uh, one of the leading reasons why people join is that they're legally required to. And if they don't, they'll go to prison and be socially ostracized when they're out of prison, et cetera. Right. So it's like maybe not a mystery at all uh, why people are, are doing that. Right. So once you think about the actual motivations that people have for joining military forces, you know, the whole idea of the death contract 
starts to seem a little bit strange, right? You know, certainly if this is supposed to be claimed about their motivations, but even if you think that there's some sense in which it is a death contract, uh, your point would be, okay, who cares? Yeah, like maybe that's like, you know, I'm very against this idea that everyone, that something's permissible because people consent to it. Yeah. And like, I think this is an idea which is becoming like kind of like disturbingly common. Yeah. But if two people, if all the actors in a situation consent to something, it's fine. And I would want to say like very much know that if they're consenting to things which are bad, really bad, then then we should be like, no, I don't care what you signed up for. You, what you're doing yeah. is wrong. You should be stopped. Yeah, I mean, there's a uh, there's a sense like obviously there are lots of things. There's a familiar list of things that are fine if they're consensual and that are not fine if they're not consensual. And but you know, because, might... you know, and consent is good. So it can probably sure. overcome like things being a little bit bad. <laughs> yeah. You know, we, don't, we don't intervene in like every practice, which is like kind of bad, but fine. Like people can sure. still smoke. But if it gets towards like, you know, killing people, <laughs> uh, maybe the, maybe there's something we need to do about it. Yeah. I mean, you, you say in the essay, uh, you use the analogy, you know, if there's a illegal underground knife fighting uh, club where everybody involved has signed an actual death contract, right. That they, that like, I, I agree, you know, that uh, I've waived my right not to die because I lose a knife fight just as you're waving your right not to die. If I beat you in the knife fight, um, you know, we, uh, I think this is a direct quote for the essay. We wouldn't say, all right, lads, no problem. Then, uh, you know, go to it. Right. Like, uh, it's, it's, you know, we would think, well, that's appalling and we're going to shut that down. Right. Like, yeah. that's the, you know, we, you know, we don't, you know, in other words, like an actual death contract wouldn't be the kind of thing that it seems like a civilized society would honor. Yeah. Yeah, and I also, I mean, I don't know how, if I, I thought this might be the bit that you found most interesting, how I made the comparison to retributivism with criminal yeah. punishment. Because yeah, there's, there's an idea, yeah. the, the kind of whole idea of the possibility of this kind of thing, like a, a, a death contract, relies on the idea that we can somehow lose our rights. Yeah. Like we have fundamental rights, but by doing certain things, we can lose them. Which is what some people imagine, and, and can be a, like a, a justification for putting people in prison. Right. Yep. Which is is to say that we're not putting people in prison because it's a regret, regrettable necessity, but rather we're putting people in prison because by taking certain actions, they've form, forfeited their right to freedom. Right. But I think what kind of if you're you know a liberal philosopher or whatever, or someone further to the left, what you're going to say is no, actually, what's happened there is not that a person has forfeited their right to freedom their right to freedom is still being violated, but rather to prevent greater violations of freedom or whatever, because we have to, for whatever reason, we are just violating their freedom. But as soon as we can stop doing that, we would prefer to do that. Yeah. Um, that, and, you know, you, you point out, like, we don't normally think um, that prisoners, uh, sorry, we don't normally think that soldiers have, um, have, forfeited all their rights i mean you know you know you you can't yeah it's very funny because the geneva convention so will protect the soldiers from any other abuse right so it's it's fine to shoot and kill someone but if you capture them and then force them to go on video like talking about whatever 
that's like uh, mis misuse of prisoners and that's a crime that's a war crime yeah 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 right yes if uh yeah they um if you force them to give them any information apart from their like rank and, and name and position yeah, um, yeah. that's that's far worse apparently than just killing them right yes uh you know you you know you're not i mean even um even like stealing you know you you can't uh um you know, like you're not supposed to take soldiers, you know, personal, you know, possessions you have. Uh, and, and, and even, even killing, um, I mean, I guess there's a way of accommodating this in the death contract view, but like you have, um, but it's not really that anybody thinks that it's like totally fine for any random person to kill a soldier. Right. <laughs> like, you know, if you have a, you know, if you get into, you know, uh, you know, if you're if you're in a poker game with the soldier, you know, you you get into an argument about cheating, you know, you could you could go ahead and kill them because their life is forfeit. Um, you know, we we think that certain people have a have a right to kill soldiers. That you know, the the canonical case would be uh, like uniformed combatants in other armies, but um, you know. I mean, I guess to be fair, we probably do think that there's a broader circle of people who have this right, but it's, you know, but it's all kind of like that, right? It's like, uh, like maybe, um, you know, maybe in the sort of, uh, I don't know, the, uh, if, if there's like, maybe if like we have some like random adolescent in Stalingrad, uh, you know, picks up a you know grenade that you know that uh, that fell that fell in front of them and throws it at the nazis you know maybe we're all for that too right you know so it's like there are maybe certain contexts in which civilians have this right but uh that's uh but you know generally speaking right we think that we think that it's it's okay to kill soldiers in a just war if the right people are killing them for the right reasons right o only when we kind of are engaged in humanity's kind of most barbaric institution, then it's right. fine to do this thing. <laughs> What's the worst thing that any of us ever do and ever will do? Then it's fine to do these things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Um... Um, someone asked in chat a while ago, does con oh, Halloween text. Nice. Does context play a role here uh, as well? Like, Battlefield versus sleeping. Good which question. Is the the second major argument in this thing where, you know, one one good argument, as it's said, for why we can kill soldiers is for the same reason we can shoot an active shooter or something right. like this. Um, it's it's permissible for the police if they don't have any other obvious option to shoot a mass shooter because right. he's engaged in in the process of of shooting people. Although, although interestingly enough, it is worth maybe dwelling on the point that you you just you know kind of waved there that in uh, that in the mass shooter case, that is somebody who is uh, who is literally shooting at that moment. But yeah. even there, we don't actually think normally that their life is just totally forfeit because of that, right? We think that it's okay to shoot them if that's the only way for the cops to stop them yeah. without like endangering other people's lives. Uh, if on the other hand, there's like a cop standing behind the shooter at like in such a position that he can just kind of like jump on him. Right. And arrest him. 
then I think that would be for the best. Yeah. I think the typical view is that not only would that be for the best that like maybe he even like, or I don't know. I mean, it's like very hard to come up with scenario, but it's like, if there's a way to do it with no risk to himself, right. You know, then, um, then we might even think that he's like morally or legally obligated to, uh, to do so. Right. So, so mass shooters, I think we actually do normally put more stock in their lives than soldiers, but yes, uh, putting that, putting that wrinkle aside in the, uh, you know, there's a mass shooter, there's a mass shooter and a police sniper takes them out. We're generally all in favor of that. Yeah. And, you know, maybe this justifies us killing soldiers. Um, but this actually seems problematic for quite a lot of reasons. One is that the vast majority of soldiers in like a modern army aren't in combat positions. Right. Um, and they certainly aren't in positions where, you know, they'd be shooting at a man. <laughs> like yeah, that's a very yeah, quite rare, rare position these days. Even if you're in a combat unit, uh, like honestly, even if you're in a combat union, you did in world war one, uh, you're not shooting people much more often than you are shooting people. Yeah. But even on the kind of point of combat positions, it seems a bit perverse to defend, to, to say like, oh, well, you know, it's fine to shoot them if they are in a combat position, because this means that kind of like a ragtag guerrilla group is much more permissible to kill than kind of the, the conventional state military they're against, because everyone in the ragtag militia will be in a combat position. Because they don't have like radio men and so on and so on forth. And they don't have like a complex logistics system. And it, but it seems it seems a bit perverse that, that that kind of justifies killing them. Yeah. Um, right. So, okay. So yeah. So if you have like the ragtag group of partisans, uh, every single one of them will, uh, will be expected to actually shoot every now and again, right? Like whatever logistical things that they're, you know, that they could pull off, right. They're all kind of doing it together. Uh, so on the mash, if like the thing that makes it acceptable to kill soldiers is the soldier mass shooter analogy uh, that, you know, which is kind of the way I I even put it at the beginning of our discussion that like the sort of core intuition that killing soldiers is okay is like, well, you know, certainly that it's, you know, more okay than killing civilians is, you know, there's a difference between shooting somebody who's not shooting back and shooting somebody who's shooting at me. Right. So to, uh, to the extent, you know, like that's the sort of, if that's kind of the most powerful intuition on behalf of killing soldiers, then like, okay, in a complex conventional army by a modern nation state in the 21st century, uh, most people not only aren't shooting at any given time, I suppose that was always true, but like are, are never shooting. Right. I mean, that's like, like the majority of people in the U S army, you know, probably yeah, they, they run like the McDonald's, which live inside like uh, carriers ships. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're a, um, like the majority of people in most, you know, advanced modern armies, not only are not shooting at a given time, but literally never shoot, even if their nation is at war. And even if they're, you know, in this sort of general area. Of, I, mean, I, I, I was, I was in Yepagay and I never shot my gun in anger. Yeah. Uh, only in, only in ice cold, uh, <laughs> Calculation. Yeah, I, I, I see sniper brain. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, 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 like, just to you know, just make sure everybody got the point, right? It's like, yeah. So that would mean that, for example, uh, if uh, you know, I don't know, if the uh, United States like invaded Cuba tomorrow, 
than um, the majority of American uniformed soldiers in Cuba would not be fair game to be shot on the active shooter analogy because they're literally right, not I mean, they, all those guys in Guantanamo, they haven't been fighting people. They've just been torturing people. You can't kill them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, yeah, they have a, like, whereas, uh, whereas any like guerrilla bands, you know, the mountains that were, you know, coming down to engage occasionally, everybody in there would be, would be fair games. So that, that seems very counterintuitive. And like a related point that you make, and I, I actually, I'm not sure what follows from it, but it is in a certain way. One of the strongest points in the essay is that uh, once you start thinking about non-combat units and all this stuff, then it starts to be really hard to like, like the more you sort of let your thoughts linger on that point, the less clear it gets what exactly, where exactly the line between combatants and non-combatants is supposed to be drawn. It seems kind of, if you draw it on like uniformed soldiers or uniformed yeah. members of an armed force, it seems quite arbitrary and it kind of varies from one political economy of war to another. Yeah. Like, like it, it, it seems like, well, hold on. If you're um, like, if the question is not what contribution are you making to the war effort, but which organization like employs you or are, are, are you a, uh, uh, you know, are you like a direct employee of a war in power or, or is your boss a subcontractor? Right? right. Like that, that doesn't seem like the sort of thing that's morally relevant in any sort of flamingly obvious way. You know, that the, uh, I, I, I make the point that very often kind of like there'll be a certain point where like a complicated missile or weapon is moved from point A to B by a uniformed member in armed force who does right. a very basic and boring thing of oh. kind of directing it in a low skilled way uh, and where their death wouldn't really matter. But the person that actually builds the missile and has essential kind of complicated technical knowledge of yeah. the weapon is technically, legally not a member of the armed force and a civilian in every way. And it's to say, okay, well maybe he's not a combatant but if he's not combatant, on what basis is the uniform guy combatant? Yeah, like like there is like there there is a very tricky thing there, right? That it's like, uh, okay, is is everybody who like if you uh, yeah if you work at Raytheon, uh, like are you a sort of combatant uh, if you um, uh, if you are just like in charge of putting the weapons on trucks? But you you have a U.S. Army uniform. Uh, are you not a combatant? Uh, that that is a, I mean, there is a genuinely difficult, non-obvious question about uh, where to to draw the line there. Um, and, and it can all be different the next day. <laughs> well, yeah, also true, right? So so okay, okay, another point maybe that's worth bring it up here from your essay that we skipped over is that you point out that in um, that the active shooter analogy is strongest when um, like, you know, soldiers are actually shooting, right. You know, that they're, right. that they're the, the kind of most important point, And I think why this argument fails the most is because it works best in situations of military failure, right. which is to say, 
the time, you know, if we think about an active shooter, we think of when an enemy combatant is actively engaging our forces in such a way that it's likely to kill them. Yeah. This, this is the, the situation which is most analogous to an active shooter and the circumstances in which we're most justified in killing them. The problem here is that when this happens, that represents an immense military failure. The, the situation where Israel was most justified in engaging Hamas on this basis is when Hamas invaded the Gaza envelope on October 7th and caught Israel completely with their pants down, literally dragging guys undressed out of their barracks and overrunning positions and all this. The, it was an immense Israeli failure, and that was the time they were most justified in acting. Yeah, but that's right. So I mean, it's like this is sort of a like this is a very weird view if it's supposed to, you know, like, I mean, this is and to like really see the force of the point, it's maybe worth taking a step back and thinking, okay, like what is a just war theory for, right? If if the point of a just war theory is to sort of give you guidelines about how to go about fighting a war that are going to be like sort of do the thing that, you know, again, this, this theory is supposed to do where it's not like, uh, it's not well, like they're, just, they're meant to just, be like roughly plausible. They're meant to be something like a military could actually do and would yeah. like, to follow, you know, without completely like interrupting their operational efficiency. Yeah. Right. They, this, this is, this is supposed to be a plausible guideline to how you actually fight a war. This is not just supposed to be like pacifism with more steps, you know, that like, yeah, it's turns... like 21 rules to get you to not fight a war. Yeah. And then you get to the 21st, you're like, well, fuck now I just can't do it. Right. Like, I mean, you know, like uh, this is, um, yeah. Like the, the, you know, like, okay, there's a, a passage in the, the Torah about uh, uh, how, if you have like a rebellious, you know, disobedient uh, child, you know, you can take him, you know, like take him to the town square and he'll be stoned or something. And uh, this is, um, you know, by a couple thousand years ago, everybody found this completely horrifying and nice. Uh, <laughs> 12 rules for war. Uh, you know, everybody found this completely horrifying and, you know, and, and, but then it's like, well, okay. I don't want to believe this because it's horrifying, but I also uh, I also can't say that it's bad that this is there because this is the word of God and you know you're not allowed to you know like that that's the sort of basic premise of everything. So what are you going to do? So there are rabbis in the Talmud who are like, well, what does the word child mean in this sentence? Uh, it's you know they can't be younger than this age or else like but they can't be punished because they're not you know so they have to be at least 13 and they have a but like if they're much older than that how are they a child and you have to have like you know 400 witnesses and you know like you know by the time they're done with this it, it can't be on a sabbath or a holiday or <laughs> yeah yeah by the time they're done with the stipulations it's very clear by intention that it's like this is a completely this is a rule that like you just could not apply what uh, uh, day yeah you can do it and your child has to be of a certain specific like day age on that right, day right right exactly right so it's like yeah it's not supposed to be like that these are supposed to be like plausible guidelines this is supposed to differentiate 
two kinds of war that we could plausibly think would really happen. You know, the just ones and the unjust ones, like the Michael Walzer book you refer to. It's like just and unjust war is a philosophical argument with historical examples or something, right? This is supposed to be stout, the kind of thing to be examples of, but if this is supposed to be a plausible guideline to how you'd actually fight a war, then there's something really odd about saying that, you know, you'd only be within your rights to kill enemy soldiers in situations where things have gone horribly wrong for you. I mean, what you want is to be the ones doing the surprising, yes. right? It's, it's, uh, that, that is the goal, you know, <laughs> like, uh, on any kind of tactical planning, right? You want to be the ones doing the surprising. You don't want to be the ones being surprised, which would mean that, you know, your relationship, you know, that like you would then be the active shooter, in this particular engagement, you know, on that analogy. Yeah, like the 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 least permissible under this this schema, least permissible action that Hamas could have done to the IDF is them doing the surprise attack, which is right. their most successful military operation they've ever done. Right. Because you know the Israelis for once weren't shooting at them. <laughs> right, 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 right. Because they were like they were completely unprepared to shoot at them, which is very, very rare. Right. Yeah, right. I mean, this is, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you even, you look at the, uh, uh, the numbers of Israeli deaths and in the last like bunch of, uh, flare ups between Israel and Hamas and it's all tiny, right. You know, and then, you know, then you have this one that is, uh, you have this one that's massive, um, which by the way, you know, it's the sort of thing that, you know, if, uh, uh, I don't know, you know, if I uh, were an Israeli citizen, I might have questions about and uh, and and maybe even make some, you know, quite apart from the uh, the moral horror at the what's been done to the Palestinians, uh, just ju- just from a like patriotic Israeli security perspective, might be trying to make some noise about how the fuck could you possibly have dropped the ball this right, badly? Like if, if you fight the war on the using the active shooter example, the civilian population is going to think you're fucking morons. Yeah, right. Uh, so, so that doesn't. So the active shooter thing doesn't really do us that much good. The death contract thing, uh, you know, once you start thinking about stuff like the knife fighting example, uh, seems uh, seems a little dubious. I think these are both really strong points. The um, the the sort of vagueness problem. Um, I, I agree that it's a, re- a real. Pro- oh my. Uh, (laughs) yeah uh he loves the keyboard um you know i agree that it's a real problem uh but um i don't you know but i'm not sure how much follows from that exactly right it's like uh like yeah that is that is a that is definitely a big problem and and how you answer this question is going to have like big consequences for for how you apply the theory but in general we want to be wary of saying it's hard to tell where to draw the line between two things and the distinction between them doesn't matter yeah i mean i i I guess my point there is is to say that as again we're trying to provide practical rules for war and there's a problem in kind of deciding who exactly is a soldier and who isn't this leads to schemas like what the u.s has where they have this idea of military age males where they're trying to follow some kind of you know at least an ideological 
like political terms to try and convince you that they're following these set of rules in some way they create this category where they say in like kind of an active terrorist area or whatever unless they have evidence which proves otherwise they will assume that any male above the age of 16 in this area is someone who can be permissibly targeted yeah right exactly so this is um yeah, this is an Obama innovation because, uh, uh, you know, this is what we got for electing the, you know, constitutional law professor who will, you know, make allusions to Rawls and stuff. That's, uh, you know, um, is, uh, you know, he didn't actually stop sending flying killer robots around the world to uh, kill people without trial far from any war zone. Um, he kept doing he that. He made shit rules about it. But he made some rules to, you know, he made some rules, sort of, you know, about how you did it, just so, just so people didn't think this was like we we're doing something barbaric here. Um, so yeah, uh, thank, thanks, Obama. Uh, but in, um, yeah, so in particular, he starts doing this documentation, and uh, yeah, so we're counting how many civilians versus how many terrorists are killed from the drone attacks, right? That, that was the method of counting terrorists. Uh, it's awesome. Um, and yeah, very much along the lines of the strategic Hamlets thing, uh, you, you said earlier or, uh, a little bit, you know, I guess kind of now in Gaza, you know, now that they like, uh, as many people pointed out, the IDF did that particularly amazing thing where after knocking out all of the internet service, and you know phone service uh so nobody would actually be able to watch it uh they 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 recorded this thing in english uh not arabic not even hebrew english uh to uh to say hey you got to get out of this area you know to uh to you know be considered a you know non-combatant uh don't say we didn't warn you um that's you know that's uh you know an extreme version right but these were all variations on the same move that you know that you've given your like you've given yourself some sort of weird permission slip to uh to to reclassify civilians as soldiers so uh so you're clear that you're you're killing soldiers uh i i guess i guess one again though i would kind of question a little bit how much follows from this it's like yes that is that is definitely a thing that they do but to what extent does this emerge from genuine problems about um, like sort of where to draw the line, how to classify people like what comes up in the, uh, you know, missile engineer versus uniformed grunt transporting the missile uh, example. And to what extent is this just like, you know, this is just this like weird perverse, attempt to lie about how many civilians you're killing, you know, without actually having to technically lie. Cause in the fine print, you said that you're counting as civilians, any male over the age of 16 that you can't specifically prove wasn't a terrorist. I mean, I think it's only has something to do with it. Like if you read the Geneva convention, which yeah. I <laughs> so many things are war crimes and then so many things aren't like conversely kind of to what we've been talking about with the civilian example, if like a civilian interferes at all in, in anything military, then they have absolutely no rights and, and can just be killed because at that point they basically forfeit their civilianness nature. But under the wow. Geneva Convention, 
like every military vehicle is basically meant to like paint a basically a target on its own head right um which it was normally just you know putting it in camouflage which is funny right yeah 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 the camouflage is the thing that's that means it's okay to kill you yeah yeah like so you're meant to clearly mark your military vehicles and and clearly put your your the guys that were allowed to kill in their uniforms and i think if if this was the case and both sides of the war perfectly followed this then i don't think there would be a need for a construction like military age males yeah but it, okay i guess i would push back a little bit there because the question is is that why there's that construction like like, like it seems like the reason that there's that construction is that if they did the obvious thing and said well we're going to count you as a terrorist if we can prove that you are a terrorist rather than counting as you as a terrorist if you're male over the age of 16 we can't prove that you're not a terrorist like the reason that they're they're doing the second thing instead of the first thing is if they did the first thing then uh the number of terrorists killed per civilian uh would be way way too low right i mean if they have uh, i see it that way around i see yeah yeah you know, if like, like if if it was like, oh, you're presumed to be a civilian unless we can prove that you're a terrorist, then like the terrorists who were killed in drone strikes would be like a rounding error. I mean, that 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 would that would like be almost none of them. Yeah. Uh, so so that would be incredibly embarrassing, right? Whereas if it's uh, uh, well, you're you're presumed to be a terrorist unless we can prove you're a civilian, uh, then you could say, oh, okay, well, it is very unfortunate that you know whatever it's probably still like 90 percent of the people that we're killing are uh you know civilians but at least there's that 10 percent who are terrorists so you know that's enough to show that like that's what we're aiming at and the rest is just a regrettable accident yeah yeah maybe, maybe that point isn't that strong but i think i did think the the first thing i kind of the point yeah. originated for me thinking about how both sides like the the schema of non-combatant and non-combatant is also kind of problematic because both sides of the war will deliberately take actions to transform non-combatants to combatants. Um, like basically as many as they need at the times they need, they'll transform non-combatants into combatants. Like, you know, the war in Ukraine started with both sides being formed predominantly of, of kind of eager volunteers and professional soldiers who all the people, you know, if we, if we think about this forfeiture of rights or whatever, all the people who have most kind of like got into things deliberately and, you know, can expect the results of it. But because these guys successfully killed each other, uh, then we get to a point where more and more on both sides are draftees, often draftees, which are basically, you know, being dragged to the front. Um, yeah, which, which I, you know, uh, yeah, I, mean, I think about that all the time, you know, when, uh, uh, you know, people have these justifications for the war continuing uh, indefinitely that are sort of so uh, abstract, right, that they, um, that's uh, like, oh, well, you know, if there was a ceasefire and start to negotiate, then that would mean that, you know, aggression was being rewarded i guess because like Ooh, we lost ben i thought he was just pausing to think 
but I think he's 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 been lost to the world. Oh, hello. There, you back? there we go. Yeah. I thought you were just so, taking yeah. a long pause, but then you didn't move. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got this little oops connection lost reconnected message, which just went away finally. Uh, yeah. Uh, point for restream. Um, but yeah, like you know, people have these justifications for continuing the war indefinitely. They're like very abstract. It's like, oh, what's well, you know, it's important that aggression not be rewarded by Russia only having the last year and a half of uh of setbacks it's had and not like you know the next several years of it um and it's like okay but it's like you're you're talking and anyway you know the ukrainians want to keep fighting and all this stuff it's like okay but like when you're talking about this like abstract collective entity the ukrainians um you know you're really skimming over all of the you know young ukrainian guys who who didn't want to do this who who got drafted and and you know and, and set to the front and you know would would really rather not die you know if it were up to them you know that's yeah, like I, mean, I I don't consent to the great Ukrainian Russian knife fighting arena <laughs> yeah yeah exactly uh, that's um so so yeah I mean it's I, like I think those, those, those memes where it's like I consent I consent <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and, and Jesus is like I don't consent yeah yeah uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, exactly. So yeah, no, I, th- I think this is, um, yeah, the, this, this point about civilian, you know, non-combatants being turned into combatants, which of course is, uh, is often a justification for, uh, for both terrorism and indiscriminate bombing, um, that, you know, it's like, oh, well, you know, the, uh, if, you know, if that, you know, Israeli, we just killed while they were, you know, sitting at a coffee shop with their teenage friends, you know, would, would have been eligible to join, you know, would have been drafted into the IDF later anyway. Right. So they, they would have, you know, they would have become, uh, become a combatant. Um, there was some Israeli tabloid, uh, like newspaper website I was seeing, which was literally just taking the numbers from the Gaza health ministry. And like, yes. And, and listed it as the terrorists we killed. Eliminated, yeah. Yeah. No, I saw that, which is amazing. Um, that's yeah um but yeah so so okay and like again even though i'm not sure how much follows from it because we don't want to go from there's a vagueness problem to the distinction doesn't matter necessarily although i think you're i do take your point that the you know the bigger the vagueness problem in a rule that's supposed to be practically applicable the less the less practical value it has yeah, and the um, more freedom for actors to act within that vagueness. Yes, yeah, justify their actions, pretend, you know, as like, oh, see, we're not violating it. Yeah, uh, no, absolutely right. And and there is an interesting question here because, like, the I think the um, like the U.S. and its proxy, the MEK, have were like pretty open for a long, you know, like not really going through any particularly heroic efforts to deny that they were assassinating Iranian uh, scientists uh, as a, as a way of, of like stopping Iran from, you know, from developing nukes. Um, And yeah, there, there, there are all kinds of interesting questions there, right? I mean, if there's a, uh, you know, if Japan had, uh, had snuck in a, uh, a force, um, you know, 
to uh, that uh, that made it to New Mexico and uh and you know bombed uh, los alamos you know uh would that have you know like would that have been an attack on non-combatants and if so that really makes you wonder about the salience of the combatant non-combatant distinction (laughs) a nuclear scientist non-combatants and is infamous of the target them yeah um yeah but uh but i mean i guess like okay so since since we have been talking about the practical value of these rules um, you know, I mean, maybe it's worth kind of, um, you know, taking a step back from the arguments or even some of the moral intuitions that drive the arguments, which I do still have, right. Despite everything we've been saying, right. I mean, I think about the, um, uh, like, like there's always been something that's like really seemed gross to me about the, um, the argument and justification for the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki that like, well, uh, an invasion of Japan would have would have would have killed more people. That like even if you think that's true, and I understand lots of historians don't think it's true, but even if you think it's true, that it's like well hold on. So you're justifying like wiping out random like children and housewives in Hiroshima, um, big in order to spare the lives of soldiers. You know the invasion. There there, there is something that seems really wrong about that, but even taking a step back from all of that and just, you know, just like, okay, let's say you're right about all of this. Then what? Right. Cause like one thing that I would definitely, like I would definitely not want people to take away from being convinced of this is like, Oh, see, we've been worrying so much about killing civilians, but it actually turns out, that the uh, moral difference between soldiers and civilians doesn't matter that much anyway. So yeah, I mean, my first idea for a conclusion would be to make was going to make exactly this point and be like, well, actually, I'm not going to make a conclusion because of that. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's like it does seem like a like it does seem like the taboo against killing soldiers that you know with that that like sorry the taboo against killing civilians that rests on the idea that there is this important clear bright line is like a really, really, really good taboo to have. And it's like, obviously I wish that taboo were a lot stronger and, and I'm, uh, you know, I, I do not like whatsoever the idea of weakening it. Right. Yeah. But you know, you draw a different conclusion at the end. Yeah. I mean, I, I draw the conclusion that we should accept that both the, the war in Palestine and the war in Ukraine are, really bad and that the 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 moral thing in both cases is to reach an immediate ceasefire um and that there are cases where war is justified but basically all the time kind of i mean someone's brought up the the u.s civil war and that's probably actually one of the ones where it's justified and also it's obvious that it was justified but even in in the case of as for instance in the world second world war the war of the Western allies against Germany was justified, but not for the reasons that they fought Germany, which were, you know, Germany started, they invaded Poland or whatever, but it was justified justified in the fact that the Nazis were completely committed to genocide and completely had the capacity to engage in genocide. But this was both not the reason the Western allies fought and something they didn't even know about. But even in the case of the, U.S. Civil War, it was justified to end slavery, but that wasn't the reason it was fought. 
Lincoln didn't plan to abolish slavery. Um, the North didn't fight. Well, some of them did. I mean, quite a lot of them probably. Yeah, I mean, quite a lot of quite a lot of people did volunteer for that reason. But I mean, it's like it's a it's it's a complicated, you know, like the South's stated reason for seceding was definitely to preserve slavery. But yeah, like, I'm not doing that. I'm saying like, that's the, uh, the but, South fought for slavery, but in a bad way. Well, the yeah, North, yeah, yeah. Like, but, but but it uh, but like look, anytime there's a rebellion for the sake of a certain cause, um, you're going to have, like, some people are going to fight to squelch that rebellion because they disagree with the cause, and some people are going to fight to squelch that rebellion just because it's a rebellion, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's, that, that it's, uh, like, I mean, it's, there There were, you know, as, like, yeah, a, tr- a, a, tr- a true thing that Confederate apologists will point out, yeah. right? They're, they're ultimately making a misleading case. But a true thing they'll point out is like, look, there were like slave owners who fought in the Union Army, you know, and 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 wanted to, pres- you know, and and like, and we're, we're you know, we're not in favor of uh, of the end of, uh, of yeah, slavery. For, right? for four years, American nationalism was based and the preservation of U.S. borders was, was based. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. That's the uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, and that's, and so that's like, so yeah, it's a, you know, it's a war to fight a rebellion. Anybody who's like, if a rebellion starts, anybody who's just kind of a loyal patriotic citizen will, will fight to, uh, to suppress the rebellion. But also because in this case, the rebellion was fought for slavery. Um, it was, you know, it, it was, um, you know, it was uh, certainly part of the motivation of an awful lot of union soldiers um you know lots of people were conscripted lots of people were motivated just by patriotism or whatever but an awful lot of of union soldiers were motivated by anti-slavery sentiments and you know even like you know it's it's complicated because like yes lincoln wasn't planning to abolish slavery in the way that he did um because he didn't think that was going to be politically possible and he in any way he didn't want to push things to, you know, to like the degree of chaos that he thought that would do. But, you know, he did want to to sort of slowly squeeze out the institution yeah, of slavery. Yeah, yeah. you know, he, was, he was elected as a moderate anti-slavery candidate and then sort of became an anti extreme anti-slavery president because, you know, the sort of force of the really annoying. What's that? They were really annoying and unreasonable, the Confederates. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, look, if you guys are going to be like this, I'm just going to abolish it. Yeah. Is that what you want? Cause I can abolish it. Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, yeah. So, so yeah, it's, that is a, that is a, a, uh, that is a rare example of a war that is, is like sort of in a certain sense, unambiguously fought for just ends. Uh, the world war two is a plausible example of a sort of, um, of a war that in retrospect was kind of accidentally just, uh that's and you know again it's complicated it's not like there weren't people there weren't lots of people who were signing up because of even if they didn't know about auschwitz you know they they had a moral horror of fascism and you know etc but it's like it's it's a it's much less like that than the civil war was uh if you if you kind of look at it with an unjaundiced eye um and you know and and you even mentioned maybe the uh, the war against ISIS uh, to you know like as... hopefully it was justified for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's um, but like in um, 
but these are these are very few and far between and and mostly in the modern era are sort of more or less accidental that you know that you have uh and obviously in the case of the isis war caused in large parts by previous u.s adventures which were justified in similar basis right yeah that they yes uh yeah pretty clearly it's like if you're overall you know if you look at the overall sequence of events that includes the rise of isis and then the suppression of isis uh your conclusion should not be ended by the u.s yeah, 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 exactly. Your conclusion should not be okay. So my my overall takeaway is that U.S. involvement in the Middle East is a good thing, and there should be more of it, you know, over the long term. Um, I'm glad after an essay in 110 minutes of discussion, we've managed to get to that conclusion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. That's good philosopher power. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like the uh, Bertrand Russell and um, and uh, Whitehead. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> this is the this is the ethics of war equivalent of that. Pro- okay, probably 110 minutes in. Uh, on balance, the Iraq War not good. Uh, but uh, it's also but yeah, 70 minutes, not 110, because I'm an idiot. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, 70 minutes. Right. They have a, uh, um, yeah, like, but but yeah. I mean, I think that the it's if it turns out like. You know, like basically the conclusion you come to at the end is, um, okay, killing civilians is really bad. Traditional just war theory wasn't wrong about that. Yeah. Uh, if it turns out that killing soldiers is also um, harder to justify than it looks, that it's 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 actually um, you know, that it's actually a, uh, a, um, that like actually a, like a lot of the justifications for it don't apply nearly as often as you'd think that they would, that they, that a lot of the justifications for it, we wouldn't accept in other contexts. And so it's like even killing soldiers, even after you've checked off the rest of your just war boxes, uh, besides waged in a just way, no. even if you do do the thing that no modern nation state does, and like actually make serious efforts to restrict your casualties to soldiers, uh, then uh, yeah, it's it's pretty like even that is looks awfully morally sketchy on uh, on closer interrogation. So you know it seems like well okay we all agreed that killing civilians was bad. Turns out killing soldiers is not great either. Um, and so you know we're very close to just being like you know what turns out uh war is really bad uh this but what, is, what if socialism then yeah i mean this is <laughs> yeah i mean this is kind of the thing where it's like in a certain sense the most straightforward conclusion of the argument of the essay would just be absolute pacifism you don't endorse that but i think just because for independent reasons uh you know you um you know, you have like an overall political worldview that, you know, stops you, you know, from, from going all the way there. Right. So you have, I mean, it's kind of funny cause you don't, you know, you sort of don't spell it out explicitly in that context, but it's sort of, uh, it feels very much like the kind of situation, you know, what you're doing is you're building in a Rojava exception. Right, uh, right, yeah, I mean, the, the essay is haunted by the implicit <laughs> fact that I believe I thought fought in a just war. 
Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Uh, so, uh, so, so yeah, you, you kind of say at the end, it's like, okay, we should have, um, the conclusion would maybe be almost absolute pacifism, except that maybe on balance, if you have an overall sort of, uh, you've learned the lessons from last week's essay and you're not trying to settle all this stuff totally a priori, you know, you have a, uh, you, you have, so you have a overall theory of how social reality works that leads you to think that the only way out of this mess is to, um, is to disassemble existing social and political uh, structures, that that's the only way to have a world where we don't have wars all the time. Um, so, you know, you've got, you know, you've gotten us 99% of the way to absolute pacifism, but like, yeah, okay. Maybe if you're trying to build some sort of like noble, you know, socialist experiment in Rojava, maybe that's okay. They have a, uh, but anything that could plausibly fall into this exemption is in the world as we actually face it right now. Uh, extremely rare. Right. Cause it'll, it'll either be a war that bourgeois states are fighting to prevent other kind of bourgeois reactionary forces from killing like an, like an insane number of people, or they'll be fought to overcome this system. But these wars are, are so rare now. And because of the fact it's this bit of a strange thing, which I don't really want to make the conclusion yeah. that lots of guerrilla wars are unjustifiable because they're not going to win. Right. <laughs> which is not something I'm ever going to, you know, I'm not going to write that down or whatever. But, you know, also these, the even kind of proletarian actors have a responsibility to assess their likelihood of success, which yeah. lots of groups in the 60s and 70s either didn't do or were kind of delusional. Right degree that they could actually achieve what they were saying out to do. Yeah. I, I, I share that last moral intuition, but I also share your discomfort with expressing it that like it's uh, there's something that does seem morally not very good at, uh, at, at starting an armed conflict. That's going to kill lots of people. If there's, there's no realistic chance whatsoever that you're, uh, that you're going to, uh, to win because killing people is bad. And like, you should have a really good reason to, uh, to, to kill people. Um, right. Like if, and, if we imagine that the Alaska flood event was on October 7th was perpetrated uh, primarily by the popular front for liberation of Palestine and the democratic popular front for liberation of Palestine. Um, and instead, and they didn't do the part where they killed all the people at the rave and so on. Right. And they, you know, they probably would have killed civilians still, but say like, you know, they killed. Yeah, they, they, didn't, they didn't intentionally kill civilians. They just did a bunch of like, they just did the parts where they paraglid into, paraglid? Uh, into, paraglided. Uh, <laughs> paraglided. Uh, they paraglided into IDF bases, right? Then um, like my, in that, version of reality right yes as you say it wasn't hamas it was groups that are ideologically much more congenial to me than hamas doing it they have at least in their programmatic program like good ends right and right, they exactly. good means exactly it was one of those groups you know not just hamas they did stick to only attacking idf targets then yeah i would be of two minds because my my extremely strong instincts would be like you know man, this is going to get clipped, but I would, I would have a, uh, you know, I mean, look, I would be to, to sort of 
you know, wear the the button with the paragliding, you know. In that, you know, like 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 my strong instinct in that scenario would would, would be would be strong, effective, instinctive solidarity with that, right? But I do also think that there is this sort of obvious moral argument that like it's gonna killing... end in tears. Yeah. Right. And you shouldn't do things that you know are going to end in tears. And yeah, that one's really hard. Yep. Yeah. Um, what, are we, what are you going to write next week, Ben? Are you going to move away from the war? Because the war is probably still going to be happening. Uh, yes, the war is almost certainly. God, that's depressing how unimaginable it is that it won't be happening next sunday um oh saying like we're gonna take it slow and they are taking it slow yeah i mean and there's this is like yeah this and even if they weren't you know even if they were taking it fast uh there is uh there is no conceivable scenario <laughs> other than a ceasefire which isn't gonna happen um but yes other than uh Right, because even if Israel wins, then they're just occupying Gaza, which is which not is going to be an absolute nightmare. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, as much as it will still be going on, and it's not like I'm not still going to be writing about it for Jacobin. Um, I am finally, by the way, this week finally writing some 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 non uh some non guy you know last six things I've written for Jacobin have all been about this. I'm finally writing some other stuff that I've already written and turned in for next week about other subjects. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, as much as it is still going to be going on next Sunday, I guess we'll see, but I am very strongly inclined to uh, finally do some, uh, some philosophy that isn't about, you know, people being blown up uh, or, you know, are you going to be about the Gnostic connection to Marxism? Oh my God, that sounds like so much fun. Um, I, I actually might. Yes, let's go. <laughs> oh dear. Um, to, to make things depressing again, just before we leave, did you hear the story about Norman Flinkenstein and the, the Garden Hospital and the plaque? No, I don't know this. Uh, Norman Flinkenstein ro- raised, I was, I was just doing a paraglade there. Sure, yeah, uh, yeah. He raised 130,000 for US dollars for a Palestinian hospital. Yeah. Um, and so they put up a plaque commemorating his parents who were Holocaust survivors. Yeah. Um, and then the Israelis have blown it up. Yep. Well, yep. on that note. Bye, everyone. I hope we all see the end of war. <laughs>